to the Soul Free Podcast. Here we will dive into individual stories and hear how they navigated the tightrope of forgiveness. Join me weekly and become inspired to get a little more free. I'm Kiana Brown, mom of three, go-getter and believer in you in all your dreams. Let's get started. Hi there, guys, and welcome. In this interview today, we are discussing an experience about forgiveness through overcoming trauma and abuse through childhood relating to upbringing with Mattia. And Mattia is just a fabulous personality with a very powerful story that I'm sure many of us can relate to in different aspects. And I just cannot wait for you to listen. So here we go. Let's dive in. I am a composer and a life coach currently based in Boston. I've been here about 10 years and I'm about to move to Philadelphia. So possibly by the time people hear this, I will already have moved. And I'm also a writer. I do poetry and I'm finishing up my first full length libretto, which is all the words to an opera. Wow. Wow. Do you sing opera? I do. I, yeah, I sing and play violin and piano. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Oh my goodness. So you do music and writing, just very creative soul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for um, joining me today. You know, my goal is to help as many people through forgiveness as possible and whatever that might look like. I think a lot of people walk day to day holding so much weight that has the potential to be let go of, whether that is forgiveness of themselves, forgiveness of others, forgiveness in a marriage, in a relationship, you know, just looking at at all of those things and really bringing it down to having grace for people and for themselves so that you are walking through life knowing that you're working with a human and that we ourselves have probably, you know, acted in error before and realizing that everyone is probably capable of doing that (laughs) and just allowing that to be let go of so that you can feel a lot freer during a day and just really love on people. So yeah, thanks for being willing to talk about that. And, and I know it might take a lot of courage because it could be, you know, hurtful for whatever you're going to talk about. Yeah. And, and what you're describing has very much been my journey, I think, mm. from, you know, getting through and, and forgiveness is a process. You know, it's not a single time yeah. event. Yeah. Um, and as I've kind of gone through those waves of forgiving various people in my life and myself, I am in such a better place. And as you said, you know, being able to give and be open um, and kind of let things go. So I'll, I'll do kind of a, a broad strokes and then we can dive into any kind of particular area that you'd like to talk about. Yeah. So right. I have uh, complex PTSD. So PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, most people know from you know, single events, single traumatic events. And then complex PTSD is what happens when you have trauma that's consistent that you can't get away from. And it's usually in childhood. So usually if you have consistent trauma in childhood, you automatically get the CPTSD label because that's what that is. So Mm -hmm. in my case, I grew up in poverty. I'm the oldest of seven. Uh, Mm. I was homeschooled by a music pastor and a stay-at-home mom. And they were both very abusive in every way. Um, At one point, a therapist, I was was there kind of talking about other things. And I said something 
that my mom said and my therapist, her eyes got big and she just handed me this like double page thing on um, types of psychological uh, verbal and emotional abuse. And I read it and I was like, yeah, my parents do all of these, literally all of them. And it's like, you don't necessarily realize it. Cause it's like, okay, well that's how I grew up. Right. Exactly. You know, so I didn't really start processing a lot of that until mm-hmm. I was an adult because I was the oldest and you know, we just kind of that and, and being homeschooled, especially and not really seeing or kind of had like, we absolutely would have been put in child protective services. Oh, cause there was also physical abuse. So Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of that happening just really consistently and not even really realizing or kind of starting to process it. Um, uh, and then having much younger siblings who were still at home, uh, in 2014. So when I was in my early twenties, uh, I still had siblings at home and my parent, I found out that, that some of the things that I thought had stopped were still going on. So I kind of tried to get involved and tried to, you know, get them to stop doing stuff and things did improve a little bit, but I realized Mm -hmm. I needed to take a big step back. So I went no contact with my parents in 2014, Wow, which ended up being the, it's almost the beginning of my healing journey. Like I'd been in therapy before that, but that actually helped me. I needed that space. Um, and now as of recently, I'm in very light contact with my mom again. So, you know, it's not, it's not, doesn't always have to be forever if you want to mm-hmm. go no contact. But if there is severe abuse, I do feel like that can be an important part of the healing journey. And then also like in my early twenties, I was also in an abusive relationship. So mm. again, unsurprisingly, I just, I was just like, Oh, this is just how people are normal. treated. This is normal, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what really, um, pulled back that blind for you? Like there is a different reality that is available for me. Um, One of the first things was uh, in my first kind of real relationship in college, meeting my partner's parents and just being like, oh, my God, (laughs) (laughs) people that are like nice to their family. I've I've literally never seen that because even like, you know, a couple of my best friends growing up also had dysfunctional families. So I was just very used to seeing this, you know, this kind of domestic abuse uh, model. Mm -hmm. So that was Mm -hmm. a big piece. And then also, again, just like space, you know, getting away from it, going to college, getting away from my family and um, just seeing other people function and just kind of seeing a different way of relating and and, and then also getting into therapy. Oh, and I got into therapy because I was also uh, raped my junior year of college. So that was actually for me, the instigating thing that like that was the beginning of my first depression um, for, you know, or yeah. And so that kind of getting into therapy for that, then mm-hmm. as I was talking to them, they were like, oh, these other things that you're saying are not great. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we could do better in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of want to bring people into your experience with therapy. So when you went to therapy and, you know, you're sitting down with them and you're explaining, you know, this traumatic experience that happened to you and it's really affecting you. Like, first of all, what brought you there to make that first appointment? And then like, what did you find helpful and what did you find not so helpful? Yeah. So what brought me there was a friend insisting that I go because I was suicidally depressed um, mm-hmm. after the assault and, um, And it brought up a lot of things, right? So I think even though obviously that event was bad and I'm sure I would have been, you know, upset and traumatized anyway, it essentially like brought up all of this other trauma that I didn't even know was there that I hadn't processed at all. So this happened when I was 18 
And um, interestingly enough, as I found out over time, the hardest thing with people with complex PTSD in a therapeutic setting is actually just building trust because Mm -hmm. we naturally have low trust, especially for authority figures. Go figure because (laughs) our experience was, you know, the adults in my life did not take care of me. You know, even other authority figures that are around you, say at church or school, who may not have stepped in or, you know, done anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually um, it was a it was overall a positive experience. But a lot of my therapy with my first therapist was literally just sitting there and not saying much. Um, And he had a bunch of fidget toys in his office, which I would sit and play with. Um, So I would kind of sit there and do this and he would kind of, you know, ask me a couple questions, but we didn't talk a lot. And um, that's not the kind of therapy I would want now. Now my therapist who had been in therapy pretty steadily for almost 15 years. um, Mm -hmm. My therapist now is very chatty and we, you know, talk about our lives and that's, it's very personable. And this really was him just kind of holding space for me when I was basically not able to talk or talk about it very much. Um, so I've had a variety of experiences, I guess, with therapists. Um, and then the other thing that he did that, cause he knew that I was suicidal was, uh, when I was going on a vacation with my family, he gave me his phone number, like home phone number, um, to call in the case of an emergency, which is again, like not necessarily something a therapist is usually going to do at all. Um, mm-hmm. actually I've never had that happen again, but it was really interesting because I, I could in retrospect, I see that what he was doing was like allowing this kind of comfortable space to form. And then essentially saying like, I'm a safe person. You can call me in an emergency, which I then did on that trip. Um, so that actually, that therapeutic relationship kind of set the stage for me to be able to open up more with future therapists. And did you ever get to that space with him in particular? Did you no. ever? No, <laughs> we really mostly sat there. <laughs> See, and that's like the point where I'm thinking like, okay, like for some people, like it's like exhausting because you're sitting with somebody and you're like, I'm coming here to get help. And, and then sometimes people get like shut down by that experience. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, it, it, it didn't, wasn't a match. So I'm just done, you know? Yeah. And like I, how many times? It usually, in my experience, um, it usually takes people three or four tries before they find the right therapist. Mm -hmm. So um, there's nothing wrong with you if you go and you're just like, they're they're not a good fit. Like Mm -hmm. they're all kinds of different people. Right. So yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with you. If you're, if you tried therapy and it didn't work even a couple of times, I think if you, if you try four therapists and you hate all of them, then yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going, I guess. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. But the intakes, the intakes themselves. Um, and actually this is kind of like on, on the topic of forgiveness, I always found intakes very exhausting, you know, and actually I often had to do two full intakes. They would, when I was doing, um, you know, therapy in person, um, sometimes they would make me come back for a second full hour because my trauma history was so long. Um, how exhausting for you two intakes. Yeah. That yeah. happened with a, a few different providers. <clears throat> yeah. That's gotta be exhausting because you're digging yeah. into this well, <laughs> well of 
Yeah. Emotion. And you get to the point, I mean, I have, I've got to the point where at least like listing events or things that happened didn't feel particularly emotional because I was just like, okay, you know, like if, when you're getting to your like fifth intake, you're just like, okay, it was this, 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 yeah. and then, you know, so it actually doesn't feel as emotional as when you do build that relationship with the person over time and actually yeah. get to that point where, where you're digging in past just like the fact of what happened. Yeah. And getting into the emotional content. Yeah. Okay. So he did do something helpful. I mean, he gave you mm -hmm. a number, which you did say eventually you used. And like, that was like a life-saving probably yeah. event. Right. So he, that was helpful. And there was, there was value in that. And, and um, so I just don't want that to go unnoticed, but also, yeah. so I want, I want to talk about like probably one of your most successful experiences and with you know, a counselor or therapist and talk about what are some of the tools that they gave you to really walk you through this next level of relationship with these people. And for okay. you, you said like, you know, you did have to take a step back, but that was actually really beneficial for both people in that relationship. So can you just talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so one of my actually other early, I think when I was 20, I had a ther the therapist that handed me that sheet of paper with all of the like types of like emotional psychological, I was just like that. I had never seen it that list before I knew mm -hmm. what those things were. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was incredibly helpful. And she gave me a lot of tools. Um, she was actually pretty consistently giving me worksheets, you know, to kind of do at home or, you know, questions to answer at home. And, um, that there are all kinds of things like that out there that you can find right for free. Like there are all kinds of, you know, worksheets, questions, et cetera. And they're all effective if you actually do them, if you actually write down answers. And, and I found that the writing down part to be so helpful. Talking is also helpful. But for me, writing down and actually kind of being able to see reflected on the page, things that I was not necessarily realizing that I was thinking, mm. you know, so I found that very, very helpful. She also gave me a lot of DBT exercises, which is so cognitive behavioral therapy came first and then dialectical behavioral therapy is more emotions focus. So it's about processing your own emotions. And so a lot of what she was giving me were tools to basically process my own emotions, knowing that the other person was not going to change. Right. Cause I was kind of coming in being like, Oh, well, maybe I can change my parents. And she was like, Hmm, <laughs> maybe let's not. start with that. Yeah, exactly. Let's start with you. Let's start with your emotional life, which is and so huge. So huge. Yeah. And DBT is a, is a huge, like, um, there's a whole bunch of, of things within that. But I think some of the specific tools that I found super, super helpful and that I still use are just noticing my own emotions. So, mm. you know, kind of being able to, because I was very dissociated from my body at that point. And being able to feel your emotion and intuition requires that you can feel your body. And I just didn't like, I didn't experience hunger for many, many years at all. I just like never felt hungry basically because wow. I just had no connection to my body. Um, so deep, a lot of, anyway, one of those exercises I found really helpful was just like sinking into and noticing my body for just like a little bit at a time. Cause I was not ready to live in my body full time, but I could, you know, spend time there for a couple minutes and kind of notice. Um, I was also having a lot of chronic pain at that time. Again, probably, I mean, partly just like not noticing and paying attention to and giving my body what it needed. Mm -hmm. And then also just having a lot of you know, tension and internal struggle and resistance, um, and trying to, you know, I wanted to make my world be very different than it was. 
Yeah. And that's usually not possible, at least not quickly. Uh, over yeah. time, you can change your environment. But yeah. again, that focus on my internal experience was very, very helpful. And then yeah. she also gave me some uh, kind of worksheets on healthy conversations around and setting boundaries. So at that time, I didn't really know what a boundary was. Um, I had only ever heard it described by my mom and it turns out she didn't know what it was either. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what a boundary was. Yeah. So I learned, you know, that a boundary is how you will respond when someone else does something. Yeah. So you can communicate that to them or you can not communicate that to them. It can be per- purely internal to you, but either way, it's you deciding when they do this, this is how I'm going to respond. And then you have to actually respond that way, which is the hard part. When yeah. people say they're having trouble with boundaries, it's usually the, you know, the kind of enforcement part of that, right? It's mm-hmm. the moment where you have to hang up or leave the room or redirect the conversation or whatever, you know, the decision was that you made. Yeah. This has been seriously such an amazing conversation and I wanted to just give a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Project Soul Free. Soul Free is a brand that encourages women to start giving themselves a break and living with more grace and fresh air. Visit our website in the show notes below to grab your Soul Free necklace. It comes with a beautiful handwritten letter reminding you to daily acknowledge your journey and how far you have come. Start living a little more free. It's so interesting because like, I'm a parent, I have three kids. So I'm looking at it also from your mom's eyes, like, Mm -hmm. man, like there are so many things that parents say that are just ingrained in growing up, right? Like your parents, like, and I, I run a daycare center too. So it's just like from my teachers to adults in general, you carry so much baggage from that experience, from your own experience as a child. So, and a lot of this ties to that experience as like, you are responsible for growing this little human. You clearly don't, the baggage isn't working for you as an adult, me, maybe. I'm going to speak from my point of view now. And so like with kids, you have to be uber aware of that if you don't want to continue that cycle. So like, for example, like my child might do something um, aggressive in reaction to something. But if I notice that Like it makes me feel really overwhelmed. I can't like clearly guide him to the next step. Then maybe I need to take that break. You know, like noticing how I'm feeling, how that's going to affect the relationship between me and my son and being able to take that step back because initially your reaction is to like, for me, I have three and they're, they're all toddlers. So I have a four-year-old, uh, soon to be three-year-old and an infant or one-year-old. So like, they're very hands-on mm-hmm. and they're very reaction. Like they like to react and, you know, hit or whatever it might be. And so in my head, I'm like, you're hurting your, you know, your sibling. You don't, don't do that, you know? And so it's like being able to like notice like, okay, I'm overwhelmed right now. Maybe, maybe mommy needs a timeout. <laughs> so then like being able to take that moment. Um, but like what you're, what I'm really just noticing is like all of these tools that you've been given are applicable to humans on so many different levels. It's just, I think it's beneficial for anybody, whether you're dealing with trauma or you're dealing with forgiveness or whatever step you are at in a process or building a relationship to be able to notice how someone's making you feel and and then go from there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that's 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 all. So I I really just think that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I've you know I initially I think with my parents especially I wanted to process a lot of these a lot of my feelings with them, and that mm. did not work. They did not want to do that, you know, at all. Yeah. Um, and so I needed to take a step back and realize that I I could and and did process a lot of things on my own, and I didn't need them to engage or apologize or kind of give me anything in order to do that. So to kind of dig into the forgiveness process with them, which has been, you know, long, uh, (laughs) I've, I've done a lot of, um, there are a lot of, if you've meditated at all, I, I meditate a lot and I often do guided meditations. And if there are a lot of meditations where you, you know, are sending love to someone or imagining, someone that has harmed you like as a baby and sending love to them as a baby. I have a huge amount of compassion for my parents, which kind of developed partly through those practices. Uh, my parents as children, my parents both had difficult childhoods and, you know, I, I can look at that and I can feel a huge amount of compassion for them. And also know that, you know, I'm 33 and I think my mom was my age when she had her sixth kid or so my parents had six kids in eight years so, yeah, it's it's really like no wonder they were, you know, they were so reactionary, right? Like they're running on exactly. Nothing. And and we yes. didn't have enough money, you know, to yeah. to pay for basic needs. So, well, yeah, I, I totally understand that having gotten themselves into that situation, that yeah. they were totally unequipped. That said, there were times when we were, you know, begging my dad to get help. And like basically did an intervention for him. And he just basically said, fuck you guys. So, you know, there are also moments where they could have made yeah. better choices. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, for me, a lot of the forgiveness process has been feeling compassion for them and recognizing that I can totally 100 percent feel that compassion. And it doesn't mean that I need to have them be in my life in any particular way. Now, forgiveness does not mean that you need to just say whatever and not have boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And just invite everything back in because mm-hmm. uh, they still have a lot of the same patterns. And at the same time, I have enough, I was able to have enough emotional remove from having, you know, six, seven years of no contact to be able to have some kind of light contact and be okay because I did my own work and my own forgiveness work. And what I found when I do these various sort of forgiveness practices, a lot of which are meditative is that whoever comes up, I just do kind of forgiveness work around them. And you mentioned at the very beginning, letting go, letting go, I think is for my kind of key forgiveness practice. It's sort of noticing, you know, this big feeling is coming up. I'm still upset, you know, about this thing, which makes sense, right? I'm not Mm. trying to, I'm not trying to convince myself to not be upset. I'm just saying, yes, of course, this feeling is in my body. And also I can let it go right now and it might come back. So I think, People uh, sometimes feel like they have to forgive in one fell swoop. And that if any feeling ever comes up ever again, they didn't forgive properly. And it's like, no, it's a, <laughs> I've done this, you know, 500 times and I'm sure it'll keep coming up, you mm-hmm. know, that, and, and it doesn't as often. So now when I do a loving kindness practice or a kind of a forgiveness meditation, uh, I notice that my parents only come up maybe one in five times, one in 10 times. So now I'm kind of working on like, smaller things, including forgiving myself, forgiving myself for staying in an abusive relationship, you know, for getting into some other, you know, smaller, bad situations that again, you know, in retrospect, I just didn't feel 
worthy. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like I deserved to be treated well and kind of let people stay in my life longer than I should have, mm-hmm. uh, because I just like, didn't know how to stand up for myself, uh, mm-hmm. and how to set boundaries and then keep the boundaries after setting them. Yeah. Okay. So a few different questions came up. First off, what are some, like, what do you use for your meditations that you've like found really great? Like what's the resource there? I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. and one person who does really, really lovely, uh, kind of talks and meditations is Tara Brock, T-A-R-A-B-R-A-C-H. Okay. Um, so she has a podcast and, um, that's one of the main ones that I've listened to. And then over time, I've just also, I'll, I'll just like search on YouTube sometimes like forgiveness mm-hmm. meditation, mm-hmm. loving kindness is a specific type of meditation called meta M E T T A. Mm-hmm. And that's basically, sending yourself loving kindness, sending loving kindness to someone, you know, and love. And then it's kind of like, then someone that you find difficult and then the whole world. So it's just sort of like this gratitude and love practice. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, and gratitude in general, I think gratitude has also been a part of my forgiveness journey because again, and especially with complex, you know, longer term things, you know, relate long-term relationships or, or, you know, parents that where there's a lot of difficulty, there's also pretty much always some good stuff, right? Even in pretty bad situations, which, you know, in some ways mine was very extreme. Um, there still were good moments. There were some nice things that we did together mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to, you know, completely demonize someone in order to, uh, I don't know. It doesn't get you where you want to go emotionally. So for yeah. me having gratitude for the good moments and being able to kind of let those things coexist and have that, in some ways, cognitive dissonance at first, but just being like, well, people are complex. They do a lot of different things, you know, and being able to just kind of let that exist. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Okay. Um, And then I think just because like, there's so many emotions wrapped up in that relationship, right? Like we're just looking at one relationship, the one with your parent and like, you probably loved them. They were your parents. Like that's what you thought was love. Mm -hmm. Is that right? (laughs) Yes. And in, in retrospect, they do not experience or uh, unconditional love at all. Yeah. As, as far as I can tell, their, yeah. their love has always seemed extremely conditional and it can like really turn off. Right. So that, yes, that's what I thought was love. And then when I got out in the world and experienced other uh, and I'm actually, I am actually still in contact with those, uh, the parents of my college ex who I dated, you know, mm. 13 years ago, yeah. <laughs> broke up 13 years ago and they're still on my mailing list. Like they're super, super sweet. I saw them. I'm, I'm good friends with their daughter as well. And I went to her wedding, uh, five years ago and they were like so sweet and so supportive. And I was like, Oh, this is what it might feel like to have real parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like care about you and yeah. like want to know what's going on in your life. Yeah. Okay. So then like made that decision to step away. Like, how did that feel? And then when you made the decision to like return back and I mean, like there's time in between those decisions that were made, like there's seven years. Yeah. So I had already uh, felt for a few years that I had, that I was feeling pretty good on the forgiveness front. Like I said, as I was kind of, you know, 
having, when I would have feelings come up about my parents, they felt much less emotionally charged. Mm. Um, I noticed that in conversations, I was able to be very light and non-specific about my trauma, which I couldn't really do before. I kind of went through a long process where I would feel like, or I would at least feel the urge to give too much detail or, you know, kind of jump in. And now, and then I, I was like, yeah, I don't really feel that way anymore. It just felt a lot less emotionally charged. So I already kind of felt like, you know, I could kind of be maybe in contact with my parents right now if I wanted to, but I didn't want to. And that was another, you know, another thing that is okay is that Mm -hmm. it's okay to take a break or take a step back. And that was something my therapist started telling me many years before I did was, you know, you don't have to tell them, you don't have to make a big pronouncement. You can just not talk to them for a bit and like take a break on your own terms. So in deciding to... Uh, reconnect very lightly with my mom. It was actually um, because she was during the pandemic paying one of my siblings student loans. And I was like, they never gave me anything. I want to get in on this because yeah. <laughs> um, my my parents now both have a job, which they never did when I was a kid. My mom was always staying at home. So I was like, okay, if there's student loan money being distributed, I want some. So I <laughs> contacted my mom and I just said, you know, I um, I didn't, I didn't say very much. I just said, you know, I, I feel like, uh, my, my experience with you has been very volatile and something that would potentially help rebuild some trust would be you saying you were going to do something and then actually doing it. So I would like you to commit to paying. And I, I didn't give a dollar amount. I just said like something toward my student loans for at least six months and then actually doing it and having that like go well will be, you know, useful for me. Um, and so she did that. Uh, and it's funny because wow. it was it was it was a hundred dollars for six months. Which, um, if she had offered me that, I would have just said no. I would have said that's not worth it to me because that was you know only a quarter of my payment, and uh, yeah, <laughs> didn't really feel like very much. But I was also I've also been working on receiving, so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is yes, that is the minimum I said that I would even consider, and at the same time, you know, this is an opportunity for me to receive and kind of test my emotional feelings around it. And Mm so I still have her phone number blocked on my phone. So she can't call or text me, but I let her sign up for my mailing list. So now she receives those emails that I send out, you know, roughly once a week, a little less. And, uh, she responds to those emails sometimes. Mm. So I didn't set any strong boundary around how we were going to communicate. I just left up kind of the boundary I had, which is that she's blocked on my phone, but I'm let you know, she can email me. Mm-hmm. So she's emailed me a handful of times. And then I basically decide whether or not I want to respond to that. And they're, they've been pretty light for the most part. She's not trying to dive into anything. I'm not really, I'm not in contact with my dad. I haven't talked mostly because we don't have a relationship at all. There's kind of nothing to salvage. He never got to know me. He's only contacted me uh, since I've left the house. He's only contacted me a handful of times in my entire life. And it was always to ask for something like that he wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and he's, he's only contacted me a couple of times just to like say hi, like literally in my entire life. So there's kind of nothing there to like do. I could build something completely new if I wanted to. And at some point I may want to, but as it is, I kind of haven't felt the urge and, Uh and that's the thing, right? So, you know, feeling your feelings, noticing what you're feeling. If you want that relationship, if you want to rebuild a relationship, there are so many different things that you can do and try. And in my case, I'm just kind of waiting to see if that feeling ever emerged. You know, you did decide to take that step away from the family. Um, What was their emotions around that? Like how prepared were you to handle 
their response and, and what, and did they have a response? You know, what did that feel like, you know, at that time? And then when you do choose to come back, it sounds like it's going well, but it's almost cause you're recognizing how much control you do have and how much yeah. bound we always do have that control. It's just right. really hard to actually develop the feeling to kind of step outside of those, oh. in this case, like childhood, you know, inner child feelings mm-hmm. long enough to be able to like actually build that. When I, when I went no contact, I actually tried kind of a, a lower tier of communication first. So kind of mm-hmm. what I'm doing now almost, because what I was finding was that phone conversations with my parents were basically impossible because they would just literally not respond to most of what I was saying. And they were basically having their own conversation with themselves that was also verbally abusive. So I felt like I wasn't really a part of it. And so I said, okay, I just want to text for a while because at least texts are short. They're not long emails where they get or long conversations where they can kind of pick things. Like if basically if they weren't responding to what I was saying, I could just keep asking it or keep asking it in different ways. And I felt Mm -hmm. like that was more useful. So I said, okay, I just want to text for a while, try that, see how it goes. And as soon as I set that boundary, which was just me saying, you know, I'm not going to respond to other other forms of communication. I just want to text. My dad sent me a letter, which again, he had only done, you know, a couple times in my whole life and I had never opened it. Mm. I actually never did. And I, and I texted him and I was like, Hey, I literally just told you, I only want to do text. And he, he just said, Oh, I didn't think you were serious. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) if the, if the boundaries that I'm setting, if you don't even think I mean them. I don't really know how to move forward at this time. And you still haven't opened that letter to this day. No, I never did. Yeah. Cause mm. I said I wasn't going to. So that yeah. was a personal boundary. I did keep it. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. Cause I figured, you know, he might die or something and then maybe I would want to read it, but <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I'm still holding that boundary. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I have it just in a file folder. Yeah. And that actually felt really good to me that mm-hmm. that was actually an example where I felt like, cause that, again, that was personal, right? I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't open it and feel like, Oh, he, you know, he pressured me. And I'm like, no, I get to make this decision. Yeah. And I decided and I stuck with it. And that felt, that was one of the first times. I. That's like a really hard moment for a lot of people in their relationships. But I think that's where a lot of people, they crumb, they, they have a hard time. Like, it's like, do I choose my well-being or this like almost like you feel guilty for not being there for the other person like you know you could have looked at it like my dad really might need me right now so I'm going to look at this or like no I set this boundary so that we can have eventually a healthy relationship and I think it's that ultimatum where people really have a hard time holding their ground to themselves yeah and it's because we don't want to feel bad feelings we don't want to feel uncomfortable or guilty or, you know, like we're turning somebody down because we don't want to, we don't want to have those things targeted at us. Right. We don't want to be rejected or, you know, but then at the same time, talk to us, you're kind of rejecting yourself. Yeah. Wow. That's good. And so, and so you got to a place where you're like, no, I'm choosing health over this, which is proof. I really needed to, because my, my mental health was like, I had been having, you know, depressions, pretty severe depressions regularly since like between the assault in 2014. And mm-hmm. this is, this is not typical, but I literally have not been depressed since I went no contact with my parents. Like I've never gotten depressed again. Wow. So that worked. <laughs> That's so amazing. 
But I think it's because also like you develop this sense of like that you're worth more. Yes. You know, exactly. and you, and you came to a realization and you started looking around and you're like, that doesn't have to be my reality, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I do, I know a lot of people who had much less severe abuse, right. And who, who are like, well, I can't go no contact with my parents because it wasn't that bad. Right. But my parents example that they always used, um, they were like, we're not, we're not committing incest. We're not locking you in a closet. And uh, what was the other one? I feel like they used another outrageous example. Well, anyway, they brought up those two a lot and they were very proud of themselves for not doing that. And I was like, this is weird that you guys keep saying. It's like, oh, so have you thought about those things? Right. Exactly. (laughs) I'm not to closet yet, but I'm pretty close to that. Right. (laughs) So I, I, you know, like no matter what situation you're in, there's always somebody that has it worse. There's always a worse, you know, quote, worse form of abuse. There's always like more severe, more prolonged, whatever. But if you are upset and like have things that you feel like you need to forgive and you need to give yourself space to heal, that is valid no matter what the actual situation was. So I always want to give people permission to take space and it doesn't have to be no contact and it doesn't have to be a big pronouncement, but you have to give yourself space to heal if you really want to kind of get, I, I consider myself to kind of be on the other side of forgiveness. Like not that it's completely done or nothing ever comes up, but like I'm in a pretty good place at this point with most of those mm-hmm. kind of big, severe things that happened before I was 25, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was just taking space for myself. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening today. I'm sure that you have gotten something out of it or been inspired in one way or another maybe you could share this episode with a friend who may relate more to it than you or may grab something um from this episode that maybe you were inspired from just share it with somebody subscribe and um spread this that would be so amazing but for sure before we leave today i want to give away some key takeaways that we had talked about in this rich conversation. From this, we have gotten forgiveness is very much a process. Sometimes you need the space. For example, going no contact, write on a page all that you're thinking and feeling. Discover dialect behavior therapy. Process your own emotions, starting with you taking ownership. Notice your emotions, feel it, where is that emotion in your body? And then set some boundaries, emotional or physical. How are you going to respond when someone else does something? Thank you, you guys. Have a fantastic week. Stay tuned for more episodes. It has honestly taken me a little bit of time to get through the process and started and learning um, how to navigate making a podcast. So um, for my second episode, I'm sure it's a little bit bumpy, but I am so excited to continue making and continue developing really my message and what it's what I'm here to put out and if you guys can just support me that would be so great <laughs> um go to the soul free website and order your necklace order one for your friend um that would mean the world thank you so much you guys have a great day